0: hello everyone this is sean and welcome to the brain cage podcast we are here because we sense the urgency of healing growth and change our goal with this podcast and company is to bring you tools and inspiration so we together can create a flourishing world both inwardly and outwardly for ourselves and generations to come my guest for today is tony subramani he's a social worker and a certified addiction therapist passionate about helping people overcome the challenges of addiction Having been through his own share of fight with the addiction monster and defeating it, the place he speaks from is real, authentic, and highly impactful. Remarkably, it has been more than three decades of recovery for him, and he's here to share his wisdom he gathered along the way. So, without further ado, this is me and Tony Subramani. Enjoy the episode. It's been so fast, and uh, since since I've talked to you, I was just ruminating over my own journey. It kind of made me realize a lot of things. Because when you're on this path of recovery and healing, it yeah. becomes so monotonous. Like you yes. forget the things you have overcome and you have healed. right? So when I was like preparing for this interview, I was thinking a lot about my past, what I have been through, and also about Like, I'm very curious about your journey, like what you have been through in life and how that epiphany came to you uh, before 30, like 30 plus years ago. Also, like I recognize like how lonely this journey is, like from recovering from addiction or some kind of mental turmoil, like how lonely it gets because... uh, like I call these people like warriors, like mental health warriors or addiction yes. warriors. Yes. But what it what happens is like when you are an actual warrior, you are fighting a war outwards, right? So many people are there to support you. When you are you have won the war, so many people are there to appreciate, right? Yeah. And when I look back at my journey, like it has been a solo warfare, and nobody till date has like kind of Appreciated any of my efforts because they don't even know the efforts I have, I'm putting into. So, so thinking about this interview, like, kind of made me ruminate over a lot of things. Really, yeah, like I'm looking forward to get into all of that.
1: Sean, can I just ask about your journey quickly? When you started your recovery from your mental illness, was there little support or a lot of support for you at that time? At the beginning, or were you just also a lonely individual
0: trying your best? I was all alone, and that's you can you can say like it's kind of my fault because I am a kind of person that e- even if I am going through hell, yeah, the thing you are yeah. seeing from outwards, you are seeing this normal guy. So it's my inability to express myself. To show my emotions and it's also kind of fear of judgment like if I will express then what will you think of me? So out of that fear plus uh, having this kind of courage, that stoic mentality that I can go through this alone like I can go through hell alone and I can I don't need any help. Mm. So this was my Mentality, And even if I needed help in some phase, so I was not willing to go out and tell anybody like what I'm going through. And even if I'll say that it's very, very hard to hide, right? All these things. So yeah. I failed in a lot of ways in hiding my suffering. So
2: yeah.
0: when people saw that, the way they provided help, was better than not providing right. So when I got their help, then it, it kind of made me think like the way I am dealing, it is better than the way of going outward and telling these people so they can help because they, I realized like they will not able to help me. Because first to help someone, you have to let go of your perspective And you have to come and just listen to that person from a fresh mind. Okay. But usually when people come to help somebody, they have a lot of back-end information which they are carrying and they will come and they'll try to impose that on you. And they are not trying to help you. They're trying to kind of what has worked for them they are trying to yeah. impose that on you. Like this happened yeah. to me. <laughs> so yeah, this was my experience with.
1: Yeah, I other know what people. you mean. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks for
0: sharing. Yeah. That's why mm-hmm. I started like this podcast because I was like, I have no like I don't have answers to everything, and I don't believe like any single person has an answer to all that problem like we need all sorts of perspectives that's why i call guests from all sorts of backgrounds all sorts of different types of thinking like there is a lot of disagreement when you listen to the podcast there is like like mostly there is a confirmation bias right every most podcasts run in a way like everybody like they are calling guests which they have a confirmation like i believe what you believe so you are here But I'm talking to people like I don't believe what they believe. So that's why I think conversations are more interesting. And we'll get into it. You'll get to know like how it goes. I would like to start like yesterday we had uh, a crazy conversation. What hit me was like how it all starts. It starts when you kind of hit that rock bottom. You remember we talked about this. So Let's start from your journey, how you started and prior to that, what struggles you faced and was there this thing hitting the rock bottom as well with you? Because it will give a kind of context for the rest of the conversation. So let's get right. into it. Yeah.
1: Okay. Now, thanks so much for this opportunity. Uh, I'm going to share a little bit about my story and my journey through addiction and eventually embracing recovery. But, Sean, I just want to say that uh, it is very important for those who are going to be watching this podcast to understand that these are my personal views in many instances. And it is not in any way uh, being in any work that's being done by any other professionals. And it's not in any way... Minimizing the importance of other professionals in society as well yeah exactly. having said that uh, I, I qualified as a social worker many years ago, and that was my main focus of attention is performing my duties as a professional social worker. And I worked in various fields of work, including the working with the disabled and with the youth but unbeknown to me I had taken to alcohol as a casual drinker some years ago and. Eventually, Sean, the, the reality of all of it is was that I'm a social worker, so I'm I cannot be an alcoholic. You know, I'm I'm educated, I'm knowledgeable, I'm learned, not to become an alcoholic. And that was one of the big barriers that I had to break through this professional tag or professional title that I was carrying with me. And as a result of that, I got very much into alcoholism. And uh, there were many many people, many family members that were always there to help me out at the beginning, but I didn't accept it. In fact, I became very, very uh, rebellious against my family. And uh, through this disease of addiction, I pushed them away. And as a result, I became a loner. Mm -hmm. I actually became a pauper in my own house. I was now, although I was married and I had a son from my marriage, uh, I was still much a loner. Uh, I spent a lot of time on my own and I eventually continued to take alcohol on my own. That's where it was. I started off as a friend good friends, but eventually I became very selfish. I didn't want to share with anyone else. And if anyone shared with me, yes, I was very excited, but I would not share with others. Just typical alcoholic behavior. My self-image was a very, very poor one. My personal hygiene had suffered tremendously. My health was in a major state of Uh, in a a really, really in a bad state. I was unable to get up in the morning without alcohol. And eventually I became a 24-hour drunk. Hmm. I would look for a drink at 2 a.m. I'd look for a drink at 3 a.m. The moment I got up, I would look for a drink. And very often I would keep some from the night before so that I could have this in the morning. And uh, eventually I lost my jobs. I lost my family. I lost all my prized possessions that I had so dearly uh, treasured uh, in my young days. And I now was a lost soul. I was a lost soul, but I never realized. I still blame society. I still blame everyone else for the position I was in. I blame my job. I blame my supervisor. I blame the stress I was going through. So it was always something on the outside that I looked to blame. Typical addictive behavior. We tend to blame everyone else and everything else. And I never took responsibility for what i had been going through and I didn't take responsibility for where I was.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I got to a stage and it was so desperate and so bleak that uh, I was now ready to buy methylated spirit and I was going to mix that with water and drink it because number one, I could not afford to buy alcohol from the bar or the mm-hmm. club and secondly, I could not move very much. So I, the nearest supermarket I was going to buy this methylated spirit I was going to mix it up in a five-liter container of water, and I was going to drink that. And at that stage, I planned my suicide as well. Uh, I had many, many times I had suicidal thoughts. I planned my suicide. But I I thank God. I thank God that uh, he intervened at the right time, Uh, because I sincerely believe that it was intervention of the the God of my own understanding that had saved me on that day. So in, in, a, in two weeks' time, I'll be celebrating 33 years of being in recovery. And I'm so grateful that I'm yeah, able to share this amazing. platform with you on this very, very special yeah, day so as I approach 33 years of complete abstinence from all mood-altering chemicals. And when I say all mood-altering chemicals, I want to expand on that a little later on in terms of the work that I do. So mm-hmm. since the 3rd of April, 1989, I've never taken a drink. I've not looked back. But those days when I got into my journey in recovery were very lonely. Because for many reasons, one of the reasons is family didn't trust me. They didn't believe that I was being sincere because I'd been in rehab before. I've been into some support groups like Alcoholics Anonymous before, but it didn't last. So when I started my journey on the 3rd of April 1989, it was a lonely journey. And it it was something that at that stage, I, I really despised. I thought, where was my family? Where were all these people that were there that were supposed to support me? No one was around. I failed to realize that they were not very convinced that I was being honest with myself. I didn't realize that they were not convinced that I was being true to this journey that I was embarking upon. But come what may, come what may, I said to myself, I am sick and tired of being sick and tired. I reached a stage in life where I could not manage to live that life anymore. It was not living. I was just existing. I was just rolling in and out of each day. with nothing, nothing of value that I could take. I had no purpose in life, and I was not adding value to anyone's life. So on the 3rd of April, 1989, after going going into rehab centers and going into A, I literally crawled into Alcoholics Anonymous, and that was the day that it was a turning point in my life. You know, a little earlier on, you talked about the uh, rock bottom. Okay. Yeah. And I want, to, I want to emphasize this. The rock bottom is discovered when you stop digging. You don't have to go right down to being uh, addicted to the state I was in. You don't have to get to a stage where you now want to buy methylated split. You don't have to get to a stage where you lose your family and you lose your jobs and you lose your loved ones. Mm. You don't have to get to that. But the point I make is that the more you get into your addiction and you don't do anything about it, the deeper and deeper you go down this pit of hell. Mm-hmm. And when you make a committed decision to do something about it, then you've reached your rock bottom.
0: yeah, It's a kind of place when you are kind of forced by life or you yourself yes. develop or find this type of courage, which was inside you, but you weren't looking yes. that yes. courage was inside you. So you find that courage and you channel that courage and you look at your situation for the first time in your life. Absolutely. What is my situation actually right now? Because yeah. the whole point of chasing that substance which we will get into later on, like why we do that. But to, in one phrase, it's, escaping your life, escaping, escaping your reality, right? When I think about this, you have caged yourself into this kind of prison and a part of you wants to get out. A part of you wants to stay in. Right. You are also like, it's not like you are totally suffering, right? You're also getting pleasure out of it. So how, how do you define addiction? What is addiction? Yeah.
1: Addiction is, you know, part of life where you become dependent on, on something or a, or a mood-altering chemical, right? It's a psychological mm-hmm. dependency on a mood-altering chemical. And mm-hmm. I think earlier we also talked about all of us having the tendency to become addicts ourselves. Many, yeah, many you, people. You said like add- all of us are coffee.
2: addicts.
1: <laughs> yeah. now, how many of us are addicted to coffee? How many of the people just say, oh, I cannot start my day without a cup of coffee? I can't go into this meeting without my coffee. How many of the yeah. people are addicted to sweets? How many are people are addicted to fast foods? How many are people are addicted to so much of stuff that we are addicted to? Mm-hmm. And I was also explaining that you know, some of us are addicted to, we have we call it a sweet tooth. We give it a nice name. We call it a sweet tooth. But mm-hmm. we're addicted to chocolate, sweets, and all the savories that, that are really not, not healthy as well. Now, talking about addiction, there's basically four different stages that we talk about in addiction. The first stage is experimental. You know, we we just try something for the first time, we take a liking to it, and it's something that we kind of enjoy now and again, and it's okay. You know, it's, it's nothing that we depend on. It's nothing, something that we're constantly looking out for, and that's what it is. The second stage is social use. Then we go to a function and then someone's having a drink or maybe someone's, you know, lit up a cigarette. We just take a puff and it now becomes a little bit more than what it used to be. We're buying our own at that stage and we've got it at home. We're buying our own cigarettes. We're buying our own alcohol and stuff like that. But again, there seems to be some sense of control. The third stage is what what we call high risk and the high risk stage is where you know now that you have the, the, the there's a possibility of losing your job there's a possibility of getting caught in a roadblock there's a possibility of of being having to face the law or be locked up or go face the court and or lose your marriage or you know have challenges in your marriage and stuff like that there's also the challenges around uh, financial issues as well so that's the high risk but it you got to a time in your life where you're not going to sit back and say well you know i'm not i'm going to start because it's iris many of us pass that and get to the fourth stage which is where I went to and that's addiction Addiction mm. is where you cannot manage without that whatever you dependent on for a day you become so because your life now depends on it every mm. aspect of your functioning depends on that mm. so I also I, I would get up in the morning and I, I, I'll have a drink in the morning you know because that would steady my hand. And that will, I thought, will give me you know clarity of thought and what have you. But it was not so. So basically, my life depended on my intake of my alcohol, and that's addiction. When you cannot function without that at all, and it can, and it, and it's obviously you know very very serious at that stage because you must know you've actually been taking this mood altering chemical for a long long time to get to stage four, and now you're completely dependent on it. It's, it's a psychological craving that you have uh, and a physiological craving that you have all the time. But I want to expand a little bit more on addiction mm-hmm. and recovery. Recovery is not just... When you, when we talk of recovery, Shan, it's not just about staying away from your drink or your drug. It is okay. more to do with an inward journey. Yeah. It is more to connect with who you should be. Because when you... As you live life and you're looking out for whatever you want in life, they say very often, they say what you're looking out for is within you. Mm. So when you're looking out for happiness and joy and comfort and you know, all of that in life, I reached out for a bottle to find it in, in, in the bottle. But yeah. reality about it all is that it's all within us. So mm. addiction is where we're reaching out on the outside to take something that makes us feel good on the inside. Oh. Recovery is all about reconnecting ourselves. It's a journey of connectedness. Because when you discover who you are and you discover what you are and your purpose and your potential, you realize that you actually don't need to have a drink or a drug in order to connect with who you truly are. And that divine light within you starts to shine brighter and brighter. And that's why I actually am so powerful, I mean so grateful that I have managed to embark on this journey so many years ago. And now I take this, my gift, and share it with others as well so that they can embrace recovery. But I always say recovery is an inside job.
0: Mm. But as you said, like all of us are addicts in one manner or or another. But all of us don't see ourselves as addicts, right? Yes. We label addicts, like we put this label of addicts to those people who have this chronic addiction, yes. which is harming themselves in a more bolder yes. way, not in a milder way. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So,
1: Let, let's take an example of yeah. over-the-counter drugs. OTC and OTDs, D- D- these are drugs that are prescribed by a psychiatrist or a psychologist, I mean, uh, a specialist. Yeah. And and as I said, I'm not running them down, but it is prescribed for a purpose, it's mm-hmm. prescribed for a period of time. But how many people have become so addicted to over-the-counter drugs? The OTDs. Right, right? now, what we take as a saving grace is that it's bought through prescription, it's mm-hmm. been prescribed by a professional. I'm getting it legally from the pharmacy, so I can cannot be addicted to it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So that is also some a form of denial where we justifying. Why we get to do what we do without realizing the consequences of what we do? So that's justification, yeah. and that feeds into denial.
0: Yeah, recently I I did a podcast with this lovely friend of mine. She's uh, her name is Noel Shantler. She lives in Hawaii, and mm. the podcast was about psychedelics, plant medicine, and all sorts of stuff, which is uh, kind of being journalized all over the world right now uh, because of many famous people are coming out and saying like I had this profound experience uh, during my psychedelic session or and many many books have been also written on this subject and many many great spiritual gurus uh, have spoken on this that it it was the starting of their journey right so yes I was very skeptical going into that podcast Okay, I had many, many questions and which I asked her. And why it was so? Because I have been through my own process of recovery, right? And the rational, like she's going into all that with very, very much like very, very sincerity and seriousness. And she has very good intentions and she is getting benefits out of that. And So it is good for her. but What rational generally people have when it comes to plant medicine, psychedelics, LSD and all this stuff that that they say, dude, you can try this. This is not addictive. Okay. This substance is not addictive. I'm like, dude, you don't understand what addiction is. Addiction is not about substance being addictive. Addiction is about me. I am trying to escape my problems. I am trying to not face life for what it is. Yeah. And I'll like a person who is addictive, like uh, he has an addictive personality. He'll just find another excuse in LSD and, yeah. and in psychedelics just to escape that, yeah. right? It is, it has nothing to do with the substance. Yeah. You don't understand. So most people don't understand yeah. anyways. So what are your yeah. thoughts on that? Like this, uh, Cannabis,
1: psychedelics being very, very much generalized and... You're so right and you you actually describe it so well. It's not about the substance, it's about the individual. Mm. You know, there's nothing wrong with alcohol. I have family members who take alcohol on a regular basis. They can manage it and and, and, and take it when they need to and that's what it is. There's not a dependency. It's not that they're addicted to it. When it comes to uh, cannabis, medicinal cannabis, I believe that it does have a medicinal value. In fact, in our country as well, there's been a wide range of products that are put on the shelf there that is serving the purpose that it's intended for. But -hmm. there are certain conditions that one needs to be very, very much aware of. Mm -hmm. And number one is that it has to be prescribed by a person that is trained to prescribe it. Mm -hmm. It's not just a salesman in in a shop that's busy selling the stuff. Secondly, it has to match the condition that you are suffering from. Right? There has to be a very, very professional approach to all of this as to how you're going to administer this as well. Thirdly, it's just about administering it as well. It's just not having the, uh, more than what you should be taking on a daily basis. It's the same with magic mushroom, the psychedelic. In, in the in the in the six fifties. The, you know, the, the scientists had discovered the, the value, valuable uh, uh, content in LSD, and they used it for scientific reasons. But in yeah. the 70s, that became part of a rave, the mm. disco and the nightclub rave, and LSD now became a way of getting, you know, feeding eye. And that's when all research and all other uh, interventions stopped, because it was now declared a, um, a dangerous drug and an Ill- Ill- illegal drug. But the situation has changed over the recent years. Uh, there's been a rebirth and a relook. And, and one of the books that, you, that I want to refer to is the one year by Michael Pollan. He says, how to change your mind, the new science of
2: psychedelics.
1: Yeah. He's talking about the new science of psychedelics. Right. And I just want to bring this in because when you administer ma- magic mushroom, mm-hmm. it has to be again done by someone who's certified it has to be done in the process that has been prescribed without yeah. any deviation. Mm. Right? There's a very significant process that's involved in this year for it mm. to have the desired effect, and the effect it has from a medicinal point of view is absolutely phenomenal. We've had yeah. people who have come out of depression, people who have managed to come out of chronic pain, people who have been struggling with anxiety for years have come through, and people who man- couldn't manage their own uh, addiction has come through it as well. So yes. there is definitely benefit. There is tremendous mm. benefit in all of this year. But mm. the process has to be followed very, very clearly and to the T. It has mm. to be prescribed by someone who's certified. And it has to be prescribed by someone who knows what your condition is, and it must be very much related to the condition that you're trying to, to take care of as well.
2: Amazing. I mean, it's, it's the
1: same
0: with alcohol, you know you gave, can't just, just gave me so out. much clarity onto the subject yeah, it is,
1: there is tremendous benefit in all of this if it's done properly. Mm. Like when you're going mm. through the actual process of the, of the magic mushroom, there's yeah. a whole lot of work to be done before you actually put the person through that as well. Mm. There's a lot of work done with the family, there's a lot of pre-work yeah. done, you've got to prepare the person. Then, when you actually go through the process itself, there's a lot of processing that takes place during that time, and even weeks after the person has over- gone through the experience itself as well. So it has to be followed to the to the T.
0: Also, you have to be very very truthful with yourself, right? Yes, as I said because but you
1: have to that, be very truthful. Yes. And you also have to be very open-minded about what the results that you, you're mm. going to expect. Because mm. sometimes you think that you've been addicted or you're going through a mental challenge because of something that you assume you're suffering with. But there's other deep-seated issues that have come through which you thought will never be as serious as it is. And you never thought it would manifest in the in, in your depression or your anxiety or your uh, insomnia. You <laughs>
2: should
0: always pay attention to... Yeah what you are doing and the reasons behind what you're doing, like, because absolutely, we both have been through what we have been through. And we know like in, when you are in that stage, it's very, very easy to find, like you got, you recovered from this one substance, right? You recovered from alcohol, but mm. it's very easy. If you will not pay attention to get into something else.
2: <laughs> so very I'm, easy.
0: I'm very curious, like this, uh, uh, do people have this addictive personality type because if yes. they have i have certainly an addictive personality because i get addicted to like very very easily and i get, yeah. get get addicted to many many things like most people will not think about those things like you can get addicted to yes. these yeah. kind yeah. of things
1: yeah I, I it's again a very very good question uh, we co- we commonly refer to as cross addiction hmm. Now, if if you're taking addiction as a whole, you've got various ways of or various addictions. That you've got gambling, you've got medication, you've got alcohol, you've got drugs, you've got the illegal mm-hmm. drugs. You've got all of this here that are different forms of addiction. What very often when I'm working with someone, we have to ensure that there's no other secondary addiction that can arise as well. Now, let me mm-hmm. give you an example. When I came to terms with my alcoholism, Shab, right? Mm-hmm. I was now gravitating towards gambling. Mm,
2: and and fortunately,
1: yes, unfortunately, I, I, I had the ability to realize that that was also taking me down. Mm. So what happens is that when you are in a state of addiction and you're now fulfilling the addiction, your euphoria, you're actually feeling this euphoric effect. Mm. So very, very often, we still want to recreate this effect, this high. So we're no longer taking that drug of choice that we're now abstaining from, which from in my case was alcohol, mm. but I constantly wanted to recreate that high, that euphoric effect mm. and that's what people need to understand that you can do that naturally you don't need a drug or an activity or a, you know uh, that, that's going to drive you, take you to that feeling that that way as well. Naturally, you can feel the euphoria that you should be. So I was gravitating towards gambling and then unfortunately, as I said, within a short space of time, I pulled away and I said, no, that's not for me as well. A very common fact, a problem that I find is that I I work a lot with youngsters and many of them are into hardcore drugs. Mm. They come into the program, they successfully manage to abstain from the drug of choice, but they tend to gravitate towards alcohol. And
2: the
1: thinking is that I didn't come in because I had a drinking problem. I came in because I had a problem with drugs. And now that I'm taking care of that problem, I can still drink. Mm. And it's so (laughs) difficult to explain. It's one and the same thing. The chemical that you're using is different, but you're feeding into addiction as a whole. Mm. And that's what we need to understand because there's different catalysts that are feeding into that euphoric effect. So a lot of them, so there's actually no recovery all they've done is shifted the attention from one chemical to the next
2: yeah.
1: one activity to the next <clears throat> so there's no actual abstinence there's no there's no recovery from that
0: you're just shifting it so what what makes a substance addictive right uh, because there are many substances in our society which are sold very, very generally like uh, that are sold widely across the globe, like cigarettes, uh, alcohol, and there is no ban on that or anything. And then there is these substances like psychedelics, LSD and marijuana, like there are certain kinds of bans on these things, right? And the weird thing about this is, things which are banned Many of those things are not addictive as claimed by scientists, right? And things which are available to me, cigarettes, alcohol, and uh, all these things, they are available to me, uh, like uh, in like nearby places, right? And these are addictive. So why is so like this addictive things are available and non-addictive things are not available and what, what makes a thing addictive? Why why, why why how will i choose like i have to avoid this <laughs> i have to go towards this i can try this so how i make this choice i can try this because i'll not get edit and i should never try this because if i try this once i'll get addicted. so how we make that choice
1: okay one, one of the things that comes to mind is so, society's labeling Mm -hmm. You know, and it's about like, if I can get a packet of cigarettes from the local shop, then Mm. it's legal. It's okay. It's not addictive. (laughs) It's fine. It's not a problem. You know, that kind of Mm -hmm. thing. So if I have to go into some remote place to buy this drug that they now say is illegal. Mm. So there's there's a secrecy around it. It makes me curiosity that, you know, I can become more Mm. curious as to what is it in there that makes me actually want it. But having said that, I think from a a more scientific description of what I want to say is that we have at the back here on the spinal column, Mm -hmm. just near your neck, is what we call the limbic system, or is commonly known as the pleasure zone. Now, a a simple example is that if you you have to have something prepared by your family, say your mom prepares something and your aunt prepares the same dish, exactly Mm -hmm. the same, you may gravitate towards having more of what, how your aunt cooks, it, even though your mom also cooks well. But you will always say to aunt, Oh, this tastes so good. Yeah. Right? Because mm. you're creating a, a certain amount of pleasure out of what you've eaten there. So, mm. what happens is it now, like, now you start working out and says, Listen, if I had so much from my aunt, it made me feel so good. If I have a little more, like a second helping, it'll make me feel better. Mm. So the same thing with also altering chemicals. If I have a little, it gave me such an effect. If I have a little more, it will obviously give me much more of what I want. So you're always talking about the tolerance that is so closely related to addiction. Mm-hmm. Then the chemicals that are in that bed is actually what you're now striving for. You, you, you actually now become addicted to. So there is this thing that you know I I can go for something that seems to be illegal because yes. it seems to be more potent, and it mm. gives me a, a greater a euphoric effect than than something that's legally available. But there's no truth in that. That's not true at all. It's mm. all in the mind. It's all mm. in the mind as to what we make up out of the stories and the, and the newsprint
0: that we see on a daily basis. Mm. So, like. Uh, when i go to certain kind of parties and when i hang out with people there is this question which comes again and again which is what what is your choice of drug okay or what's your poison and this question is so widely and generally asked so what are your thoughts on that, like do people have like, I can see there is some truth to this question I'll point out because uh, as you said, like alcohol affected you, but I have tried alcohol and it had no addicted addictive effect on me, right? When I tried cigarettes, I got hooked and became a chain smoker, uh, which went on for years and years, almost a decade. So, why that substance didn't like affected me and why this substance did affect me and like what's, the, what's with this question? What's your poison? Like,
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing because it reminds me of, you know, when you, when you are in a room uh, in an holding cell with criminals
2: yeah,
1: and, and a new guy comes in on a Saturday night and they now locked him into this holding cell. And all these guys have been there for a few few hours and say, Yeah, Yo, what you in for? You know, what did you do? Me? <laughs> it's, it's the same thing. Like, it's your what's your drug of choice. It. Like you understand what I'm trying to get? Like, you know. So if the guy says, I murdered someone, mm. then it's like a status.
2: Mm. Right?
1: In the meantime, murder. he didn't murder anyone. He actually got assaulted by his wife and, and, he, and he wanted to, and he got into an argument because he was drunk, but he didn't murder anyone. But if he doesn't create that kind of status to say, "Well, I murdered someone," then he's mm-hmm. going to get clapped by the guys in it. But a similar kind of thing also, uh, uh, you know, shows itself when you meet up with friends and they want to know what's your choice of drug, because for them, if you're not on any drug, then you're a loser.
2: Mm-hmm. It's also again I, about status. Yeah. A lot of status, status signaling
1: involved. It's, it's 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 more everything to do with status, and then you get another guy who says. I, I just take alcohol and he says, ah, you're nothing. And then the guy comes in and says, listen, I've been on heroin. So what has happened in society Shan, mm-hmm. is that there's graduation in terms of what we're taking as, in terms of the drugs as well. Let me mm-hmm. give you an example of what is very common in my country. We, we've got a very high rate of crime, okay. right? And I'm going to use an example to illustrate uh, what, I, what I'm getting at. When and, and, and this is a general comment I'm making, so I want you know people to just bear with that there, right? When a female is hijacked mm-hmm. in, in our country, society is very quick to say, "Who oh, you lucky you were just hijacked, you were not raped. You
2: mm-hmm. see?
1: Mm-hmm. So there's hierarchy, there's status attached to mm-hmm. the seriousness. Of that as well too. So they kind of downplay that if you're not a drug addict or you're not taking alcohol, then you should not be with us. Mm. And that is the message I want to share today, that we need to start changing that. It's okay not to be one that's taking that drug. It's okay to say to someone that says, listen, I don't have my poison. I'm not into any poison. And be comfortable and happy about that as well. So that's the point I'm trying to get across is that it's all about status. It's all about this hierarchy that yeah, I
0: can totally relate. My I, I myself have since I have became sober, I myself have felt this kind of shame when someone asked asked me like, what, what do you do? And I have to say, I don't do anything. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. I'm being neglected. <laughs> And yeah. I don't know why I am feeling this kind of shame. Like uh, I should be part. But
2: let me, let me let me share
1: this with you. Yeah. And identify with you where you feel like you 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 more ashamed when you say I'm not into anything. Right. There are more people that will follow you and support you and respect you when you say to them, "I'm not involved in that scene." Right. It's just because you haven't put the message out there so people don't identify with you. And Mm. today we both are wanting to take a message to co-create this world.
0: Later on, on, I started saying that very, very openly. Like I don't do anything. I have left everything and I have quit because I realized uh, that when I say that, like they are looking for people like them. So they don't feel ashamed of what they are doing because I was in their place. So when I say that to them, they see me as as a bird who has flown out of its cage. And they are pointing fingers at me. They are trying to persuade me that you should get back on this cage and have fun with us. But I'm a free bird now. (laughs) So that's making them a bit uncomfortable. Yeah,
1: It's, it's all about identity. Yeah all about their identity and the more people they can get to, you know, to connect with their, that kind of identity, they feel comfortable that I'm not the only one. Mm. There are others in this case as well. Mm. And I think the other point which I want to expand on is addiction is a self-built prison with yeah. a key on the inside.
0: Self-built
2: prison.
1: It's a self-built. We've built it around us uh-huh. and the key is actually, actually to, the, to releasing yourself is on the inside. Um, the key to your freedom is in that inside, not in someone else's hand and the other thing I want to share, if we've got some time, is that we need to be careful of who we associate with when we are in recovery very, very, very important Mm -hmm. right? I do not associate with the people that were I was involved in previously
2: Okay.
1: because my direction and my focus on life is very different from them I remember this one so-called friend, he asked me when I was into the program of recovery very, very uh, long ago, he said to me, have a drink, man. It's just one beer. What what is it going to do? And then I realized I didn't want to associate with him because I know what that one beer would have done to me. Mm -hmm. But then I had to now choose carefully who I associate with. So there's the three, the letter P that we need to look at, the three Ps. Mm -hmm. We got to look at the play pals that we associate with play pals, right? we got to look at the playgrounds we are frequenting. Playgrounds. Hmm. And the third thing is what are our play toys? Now let's talk about those pals, those uh, those, Hmm. uh, pals that we talk Hmm. about. We should actually not be associating with them. Because you've chosen a different path in life. Hmm. In life they say, show me your friends and I'll tell you your future. Right? The second thing is that if you're not taking alcohol or you're not taking any drug of choice, you should not be found in those places that had that, that got those drugs or got the alcohol. Mm. I don't go to a pub. I don't go into a bar. I don't go into a bottle store. Mm. I have no purpose to go there. So why would I want to go and sit in a pub and have a cool drink and watch the soccer match? I don't want to do that. Yeah. Because I'm putting myself in a familiar, very familiar environment that mm. I want to get out of. You see? And then mm. the play toys are things that we've got at home, like there's wine glasses and beer mugs and, you know, even you've got alcohol at home. I don't mm. have any alcohol at home. I don't need it. You know? It's not because my visitors are going to have it. If they want to, they will bring their own. Mm. But they choose not to because they respect me. So those three Ps are very, very important. Your playmates, your play, play playgrounds, and your play toys. You've got to be very, very cautious of that. Who you associate with. I don't want to put myself in a group of people that are constantly saying, have a beer. It's okay. Have a beer. It's just one. I don't want that. I don't want that. So I choose not to go there. And eventually, Mm. they get the message that I don't want to be there because I choose not to associate myself with what they do. So I do it with respect. Because there's a common phrase that says, let go. Let go.
0: I have thought a lot about
2: this subject. And I've experimented. With this a lot.
0: The that's what, what we were talking about earlier, right? You have to build yourself from scratch and you have to make a lot of sacrifice and you have to let go a lot of things, right? And part of letting go is letting go your these playmates, what you call playmates, your these addictive friends, right? Who are doing the same thing taking the same substance yeah. with you and it has became yeah. a habit. What I realized like, I have like literally I had with many, many people, I had no connection. The whole point of me yeah. being friend with that guy was that yeah. substance. Yes. Right? Yes. But yes. when when I avoided that and I like eradicated that from my life, the one mistake yeah. I made and which I, I like to like get your opinion on this is that I avoided them completely. I avoided them hundred percent. I just like disconnected with every one of my like addict friend and I became this kind of loner. So I was like in one year in my recovery and I had like, I was using no substance. I let go all my like nicotine addiction and cannabis and everything. But there was a day when I accidentally, I met some of my friends. They called me and I went back and we, we drank drank a beer or something. And I was a little bit high and I smoked a cigarette because I was not in my complete senses, and I was not like my willpower was not 110%, which usually is. So I smoked that cigarette and then again that chain smoking started in my life so what i realized the mistake i did was i avoided them 100% i avoided all the substances 100% like i will not go to like even go to the bar if i am not drinking right so what did was when i got the opportunity i resisted it for so long like the moment i got the opportunity i was out of control I'm getting it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What are your thoughts
1: it's, on this? You, you described this very well. Let me, let me explain this much. When I, when I talk of making that committed decision to face your recovery, your addiction, hmm. you need to understand that you've embarked on a journey and this journey needs to be embraced and strengthened every day. When you say you stayed away from these friends completely, It was the right thing to do. Mm. But when we look at internalizing recovery, Mm -hmm. we've got to constantly remind ourselves why we need to be in recovery, why we want to stay in recovery. That's one point I want to remind, just to bring up, is that we need, it's an internal process. And as long as we internalize it, to look at what it's done for us and our fear and concern about what it's going to do to us.
0: You, I would like to point individual. out, you said something, you have to stay in recovery. And that I realized yes. very, very later that yes. recovery is not a one-time yes. process. You have to stay in that no. phase constantly for
2: the rest of your life.
1: Yes. It can be quite scary and daunting about some people who want to embrace recovery. Now and think, oh my goodness, I'm going to stay in recovery for the rest of my life. But it's made so much easier and manageable by doing it one day at a time. mm mm-hmm right? By doing it one day at a time, you're actually accumulating the days and months and years that you stay clean. The other thing which you've just touched on is that many people kind of assume that if I've stayed clean for a year, I'm okay to go back and do what I used to do before.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: They somehow give it a time period. Yeah. And, and the reality about it from a, from a professional point of view is that in the first year of your program, you're not in a program of recovery, you're in a program of abstinence.
2: You
1: You mean just mean abstaining from your drug of choice.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Recovery starts mm. in the second year, when you're now making big decisions around your studies, about your medical status, about your education, your finances, mm. all of that. It starts then.
0: When it's kind so of first, running yeah. in the behind, when you're not paying yes. attention to that,
2: even.
1: Yes, mm. yes. So always remember, in the first year, you are merely abstaining. And if that is why we think, that ah, I'm, I'm, I'm strong enough and I'm capable of associating with these people. And mm. you are, uh, describe what happened in the first time you met with them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You took a beer, yeah. you took a cigarette, because mm-hmm. you, you come out, somehow felt that, well done, I need a pat on my back.
0: And I was like, I can handle this because I have yeah. one year of avoidance. So I can do like, I can smoke one cigarette and I'll just leave yeah. it because I've left, like I've done it
2: before, right? <laughs> yeah.
1: It's a pity. I, I, I was going to illustrate uh, how this whole thing works as well. But the biggest risk and the biggest danger about it is that we're talking about a disease that keeps growing. So every time you stop and start, it gets worse. It gets 40 to 50,000 times worse because mm. of the the the, the 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 speed of that of the disease that we're talking about. Even though you are stopped for a period of time, it's the biggest mistake you can make because you're either going to stay in recovery continuously or you continue your addiction till you die. Mm. And let me come back to talk about this, living in recovery for the rest of my life. I don't mind. I enjoy the life I live. I'm proud and I'm happy that I'm no longer... A victim of addiction and i live it one day at a time
0: let's let's get into that like the, this recovery sounds like recovery word sounds very very lame yeah. <laughs> to us like yeah so let's define it a little bit recovery is not just kind of a, just a healing process it has huge potential in other aspects of your life as well, Absolutely. right? It will make you into a different kind of person because when you you have this insane, huge, big monster in front of you and think about it when you tackle this monster and what kind of person you will become, right? So, like... People who go to war and people who come back from war are two separate people, yeah. right? Or two two different yeah. people. <laughs> so yeah. it's not just about recovery. So what are some necessary steps? And we were talking about these steps earlier when we talked yesterday. What are some necessary steps to overcome or in some a- aspects like battle addiction? Okay,
1: Let, let's, let's go to some basic steps. The first step is to make a committed decision. When you make a committed decision, you're taking ownership of the problem, right? So the first thing is to take, to take ownership of it. Second is to make a decision that you want help and you're going to do something about it and hmm. commit to it. When you commit to it, then you're going to find that the universe will va- basically create circumstances that is going to support that commitment that you are looking out for. Right. The other very, very, very important step, Sean is to get an accountability partner. Mm. You cannot do it on your own. Mm. It's it's not easy, and it's most often not possible to do it on your own. The accountability partner is someone that has walked the journey before you and Mm. is prepared to help you literally hold your hand and walk with you during the first few months of your recovery journey as well. Accountability Mm. is also to be answerable to someone about your honesty and your trustworthiness. The accountability partner is also someone that could randomly do a drug test and Mm. things like that. When it comes to the choice of an accountability partner, it is important to know that that person is already in recovery for at least three years. Secondly, it must be a male for a male and female for a female. Accountability. Um, Then it can also have someone else from the family who's also another accountability mm -hmm. partner, someone from the family. Then you can also look at someone from the workplace as being an accountability partner. And let me explain why I share this. Say I'm working for a company and I say to my supervisor, I'm not coming in on Friday afternoon because I've got to go and see my therapist.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Now the the manager does not know what's going on. So he doesn't allow you to go because he thinks you're lying. But that's why there must be some communication with that person, obviously done privately and confidentially, to say, Mm. look, so-and-so is coming to see me on a Friday afternoon. Please allow him time off. So there has to be this kind of trust pattern and plan put in place so everyone feels. Yeah, And it's also very important for me as an individual that wants to embark on recovery to be honest and truthful all the time.
2: Very, very important.
1: And then lastly, I want to say support, support, support. You must con- connect with people that are in the same position as you walking on this journey of recovery because it is not possible to do it on your own. Some people manage, but we're also yeah. worried about the quality of that journey that they embark upon.
0: Amazing. I think this is the right place to end this conversation. And, but before you go, where people can connect with you.
1: Oh, yes. I'm in South Africa. I'm in Durban, South Africa, and uh, I work with people from throughout the world, and they're welcome to connect with me on my uh, cell phone number, which is plus Mm -hmm. 27815336565. Let me repeat, it's plus 27815336565. They can also connect with me on my uh, Instagram page, which is Tony Supermoney, and also on Facebook which is Tony Subramani. My surname is spelled S-U-B-R-A-M-O-N-Y. And then if they wish to connect with me on email, they're welcome to do so. My email address is omniskills008 at gmail.com. That's Omni, O-M-N-I-S-K-I-L-L-S, yeah. one word, 008 at gmail.com.
0: Thank you.
2: Amazing. I, I'm, I'm
0: so glad that we did this. Uh, your insights were so enlightening and uh, it gave like it gave me a different kind of perspective when like when it comes to think about substances and when it comes to think about addiction
2: so the whole
0: process of uh, learning from you like from yesterday's talk from today's talk it was so amazing thank you so much for coming on the show
2: uh,
0: until next time stay strong stay stubborn and keep on climbing
1: <laughs> thank you very much Much for the opportunity, John. And I also look forward to connecting
2: with you soon.